From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm your host, Stephen Cap Perry. It's a rare treat when we get to have an hour of new music performed by the composers who made it. And that's the case tonight. We totally lucked out with Victor Uzer and Brad Richter. They've composed and arranged the most expansive collection of music for cello and guitar duo in existence. And today they'll perform four of their original pieces along with an arrangement of a very well-known Lennon McCartney's. Lennon McCartney song, Goo 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 Joob. That's all I'm going to say about that. Victor Uzer is a cellist and professor of cello at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. He's also the founder and director of the Bonneville Chamber Music Festival. Brad Richter is a guitar player, composer, and founder of Lead Guitar, a not-for-profit that establishes guitar programs in public schools. Together, they've recorded String Theory, an album showcasing their fondness for musical mashups of classical, European folk, and rock music, and they've taken that music on the road to North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and now our little radio station. Their music is also regularly heard on programs such as NPR's Classical Guitar Alive, Performance Today with Fred Child, and PBS's Wood Songs. Now, here is one of those pieces that's been featured there. This is called Ironwood.
That's Ironwood, performed by the composers themselves, Victor Uzer and Brad Richter, live on Highway 89. That's one of those pieces we mentioned that's also been featured on performance today with Fred Child and on Classical Guitar Alive. Victor, welcome back. Glad to have you in the studio again. It is great to be back. Thanks for having me back. The two of you work together very well, but you live about a thousand miles apart, so... How did you ever meet? How did you ever start working together? Well, this is one of the good things, of many good things that uh, Weber State brought to me when I uh, w was actually employed there in 2005. And that is when Brad was hired uh, to write a very large-scale work called Navigating Lake Bonneville. And that involved a cellist. And I was one of those cellists, you know, hired cellists. And... Uh, we really hit it off after that, you know, we uh, found out we have uh, similar interests in music and composing and arranging and also life. Yes. <laughs> and people have written from distance before, I think of operas where a, a libretto would be set to a composer, sent to him, maybe he was in Italy and the librettist was in France. This took a long time, but uh, do you use Skype? We use all of the possible uh, modern technology to make our uh, co-composing and arranging easier, yes. We use uh, uh, musical software, uh, we play for each other on the phone, we play for each other, actually not so often on Skype, actually it's usually the phone. Uh, and then one of the more fun things is, that, is when we get together to tour, uh, we usually get together the night before we are about to play a concert the following day and that at that point, we usually have a new piece or a major change, and then the following day we actually try it out for the first time. <laughs> so when we arrive in the evening, we really uh, okay. Let's let's not rehearse the old pieces. Let's see how this goes, you know, because we really don't have a lot of time to do it. Yeah, why not yeah. rehearse it once before you <laughs> at least <laughs> before once before you right? premiere it? <laughs> well, you also do a lot of musical mashups, combining classical with uh, music from Led Zeppelin. You've used the Flight of the Bumblebee, James Bond themes. <laughs> Everything's game. It, it, is everything open to, to be remixed and mashed together? It's really what we like. You know, uh, uh, we trust each other's tastes and we hope that our audiences will trust our taste, you know, <laughs> uh, what we pick. Uh, we are careful about... Um, intruding something that's really and truly valuable uh, artistically and not changing what's original to it. So. Well, I read about, uh, I heard uh, comments that you made in a concert before performing an ad adaptation of Rhapsody in Blue. So maybe that's in the sacred pantheon, but still you're adapting it for cello and guitar. So how do you, how do you adapt something? like that uh, that one is a tough one that's why we're not playing it uh, <laughs> tonight <laughs> uh, it, it was tough because it's a very we used the original version that Gershwin used uh, for just the piano solo uh, he was a fantastic pianist so you know with big hands so we really had it was a big challenge to arrange that but it worked it, and it's a quite a sport to do that on both instruments yeah introduce this next piece we're going to hear it's La Folia that's yes. a, a name, that's a title that's been used through the years by many different composers, uh, maybe 300 different versions. This is number 301. Yeah, or 501, or we don't <laughs> know. Yes, I know about uh, 
you know, maybe five composers that wrote uh, variations on this theme, and we are one of those composers. The theme is uh, uh, was really popular during the Renaissance and early Baroque uh, periods, and uh, many composers for that reason wrote variations uh, to that theme. I think it was played in courts, uh, in uh, parties, in all sorts of occasions. Uh, it is a secular melody. It's not a uh, from the sacred music, uh, but lots of composers wrote variations, including Romantic and 20th century composers like Rachmaninov, for example. Yeah. Well, we'll let you take your place. We're, we're going to hear your version. I know Brad wants to tune to an opening tu open tuning here, so we'll let him do that. <laughs> the piece is La Folia, and some of these mashups in the past, they have to get a little bit of influence from maybe a brief time when Victor picked up an electric guitar and Brad was a guitarist and singer. I don't know how much they want to delve into that, but we're going to hear La Folia now.
the Richter Uzer duo performing live in studio tonight. That's Folia, one a variation of one of the oldest musical themes there is. And before we just go on, give me a moment to just have a party in my brain about how great that was. Oh, that's sweet of you to say that. <laughs> that was Thank you, wonderful. Stephen. I'm over here thinking, can I put this on endless repeat for the rest of the night? It's on a CD. <laughs> okay. In like, fact, you can. In fact, I can. <laughs> Uh, so, is this an anonymous theme? Is it just so old we don't know who even? It is an anonymous it? theme. It, it, it's about five hundred years old. Uh, I, I, my first research said it started in Portugal, but we hear Spain quite a bit as well. So, yeah, there was a little. I'm not bit sure of that's completely tour clear. of Western Europe there in the. Yeah, one of the things we often talk about when we play that is that uh, it it kind of goes through the history of classical music. It starts with kind of a Baroque setting of, Mm -hmm. uh, of, and we end up at rock and roll like we always do. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad to have you here and to do that. Now, you started really teaching yourself guitar. I mean, as in uh, just you and your guitar for years. It, that, that's true. For the first seven or eight years that I played, I was self-taught. And uh, the, the first guitar I had, one of the reasons I, I didn't progress particularly fast is I had a guitar with just three strings. <laughs> and and so I figured out what to do on those three strings and then eventually got the were other Were they three. consecutive strings or scattered? They were consecutive. The... <laughs> they, were the, they were the three uh, low and pitch strings so I could play a bunch of heavy metal power chords, which is what I started with. And really, what more could you ask? Exactly. I was, <laughs> as a 12-year-old boy, it was the thing. So then you show up to the American Conservatory of Music in Chicago and you audition, you get in, and did they say anything like, oh, you have of your own unique style? Or Well, it, the, the transition wasn't quite as clean as that. And, of course, in the biography, it sounds like I went from uh, teaching myself on a farm in Oklahoma to <laughs> walking into the American Conservatory of Music. So what I actually did was I moved to Chicago when I was about 18, um, and I got a job washing dishes, and I... Uh, earn money to take lessons with the teacher at the American Conservatory of Music. So, you know, about four months before my 19th birthday. And I straightened out a lot of things that I did wrong while teaching myself. And then I auditioned. I I had no intention of going to college ever. Uh, um, Sorry to be a bad influence. (laughs) But but it wasn't in my plans. And then he said he liked the way I was playing and asked me to audition. And I did. And I, uh, you know, I, I loved it. One of the comments you made, I thought this could be a line from a science fiction movie. I, I just really loved it. You said something about studying guitar so intensely spread into the rest of my academic life. And then here's the line. I could feel my brain changing. Yeah, that's true. I noticed a different, you know, the, uh, all of the studies that relate um, study, intense study of instrumental music to better performance in math, science, and reading. Right. Uh, I could feel a difference in my brain starting at about age 20 with my ability to remember numbers, add and subtract quickly. I mean, I'm still terrible at algebra or geometry or anything, but my 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 retention and I, I really did feel a change in... Is it a, a, a power of concentration or, or willingness to really do the work of concentration for a longer time? Or is it just that the numbers all went together faster? Well, I, I think um, 
there are several things at play when that happens. Uh, one is that synapses are formed and and uh, become permanent, and your brain actually does grow. I mean, your head doesn't swell, of course, but but <laughs> that would be the same. <laughs> that, that would be bad. Um, and then I think the the practice of memorizing things, um, the discipline that it takes to learn an instrument, and the focus, all those things. Uh, um, help in in countless uh, uh, ancillary ways that like math and, and memory well let's go back to some can we call it the roots how did you choose i am the walrus is it because it already has a cello and a guitar part in there somewhere Th- that's really just coincidence I, I i feel i want to quote victor on a couple of things first victor chose i am the walrus um, and I was completely into it, but not at first. I, I thought, I'm the walrus, really? Shouldn't we do Eleanor Rigby? And uh, and then, of course, I'm the walrus is an infinitely more interesting choice and more interesting song, and everybody does Eleanor Rigby or, or because the cello is so obvious right. there. And uh, But another thing Victor likes to say is, you know, if, if he played tuba and I played trombone, we'd still figure out something to do together because it's more about the way we like to compose together, the way we like to arrange together, liking to play together and being of of the same mind about so many things. Well, let's hear what the Uza Richter duo does with Lennon McCartney here. Uh, We're going to, uh, we'll give Brad just a minute to retune unless he was quick on the draw and already did that. I was surprised (laughs) how fast he did that. So we'll hear I Am the Walrus, a version like you have never heard before from the Uzer Richter duo, performing live on Highway 89, in studio at BYU Broadcasting. Thank you. 
I Am the Walrus, performed on cello and guitar by the Richter Uzer duo. You're listening to Highway 89, coming to you live. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Victor, you're one half of this duo, but you also teach cello at Weber State University, and you're the founder and director of the annual Bonneville Chamber Music Festival. Yes. So you get to play solo, you get to play duo, you get to teach. You really try and do it all. I try to do all of the things that I really feel are important. Uh, I love being an educator. I also believe that chamber music uh, is so rich uh, with so many choices and fantastic music. And I think that our uh, our community here, our area really does need that. Uh, and yes, uh, I enjoy working with Brad or playing any other, other pieces, yes. The Bonneville Chamber Music Festival happens pretty close to March every year, brings international musicians together. And that must be really fun for you to just look around and think, who are the guests going to be? Who can I get? That's uh, sometimes the fun part. Sometimes you have to uh, be very uh, sort of careful about who you're bringing uh, because you you are matching people. You're matching different mm. characters. I do like to know who I'm bringing. So I usually bring uh, artists that have had a chance to collaborate collaborate somewhere in this world at some point. Mm. And uh, uh, it is always fun to have a good group of people who are uh, amazing musicians and fun to hang out with also. And that creates a really good uh, energy when we have two days to put uh, you know, hour and a half program together. You know? <laughs> so everybody learns their parts and then comes and that's, intensive rehearsals. That's the idea, yes. And that's what happens, yes. This seems like something you and Brad have in common is first the willingness to take a risk on something like that, but also that you want to make things happen musically. Uh, I meant to mention that he also has a nonprofit lead guitar that's aimed at getting school kids connected with guitar lessons. Both of you are doing, I guess you'd call it musical outreach. Yes, and he was just actually telling me today, I didn't know the number, but uh, lead guitar, his lead guitar program has grown to, uh, I think, 5,000 new kids are right now playing guitar thanks to that program. That's a pretty impressive number. Yeah, and uh, yes, we do like to uh, leave something behind or you know do something useful to our community, absolutely. So I have to ask, partly in introducing this final piece that we're going to hear, you were born and raised in Shumadia i Pomoravlje. Very well done, yes. Oh, thank you, I've been working <laughs> on that. So in Serbia, it's a beautiful place, and... Yes. There has been so much music written about that part of the Balkans, about Europe. So much music created there. Everything from gypsy music to a lot of the classical music any of us would know who pay attention to classical music. Did you feel growing up there that, wow, I have a really rich tradition? Or was it just sort of what you did? This is something that you hear growing up, and it really becomes part of the things you hear, uh, you know, self-taught accordion players uh, just really being so virtuosic. And we're not talking only about folk music. I mean, I know uh, self-taught accordion players that are playing Bach fugues <laughs> and, uh, you know, and arranging this uh, music for organ, you know, church organ, because you can do that with accordion. So very, very gifted musicians, not only in Serbia, but the whole Balkan Peninsula, Romania, uh, Hungary, Bulgaria, yes, yes. So now this form we're going to hear, Kolo. This is a Kolo Fugato. 
Yes. Tell me about this piece. Well, we also played a different colo before uh, that was called Carpathian colo. And, uh, you know, this is a very typical dance uh, in Balkans. Uh, it's sort of a Eastern European bluegrass. Uh, but it has really deep roots to uh, also some Middle Eastern uh, scales and tones and modes, right? So uh, they kind of all sound alike. Sometimes the actual beat would change, but Romanians call kolo hora. Hmm. And so there are different names for this. And they're, they're very happy dances. They're usually fast. And uh, kolo fugato is a little different because uh, we've tried to make it... Uh, you know, uh, it's really a canon. There are lots of canons in there, so we're using some classical techniques with this opening motif. Later in the central part of the piece, you will hear uh, an actual canon, and then you will hear a reversed canon going back. And so I thought that was kind of fun. You know, they named these colors all sorts of names, you know, after uh, typical uh, some players, for example, Zoran's Colo, that would be a name, or uh, Dragon's Colo, or uh, the Colo from this, or, you know, they just tag a name and then put a call. So this one is called Fugato. I thought that, you know, that would be a fun title, yes. Well, let's hear it. We'll let you yeah. pick up cello. And in these, this particular piece, the cello kind of has the character of the gypsy violin virtuoso and the guitar is, I guess, filling in every other possible traditional folk instrument, anything that gets plucked. So here is Colo Fugato with the Richter Uzo duo, Uzo duo here on Classical 89.
Colo Fugato. That's on Highway 89, performed live by Brad Richter, guitarist, and Victor Uzer of the Richter Uzer duo. Brad, what great music you brought tonight, and such a big variety. So the cymbalom is an instrument I've heard about. Is that what the guitar is, the part that the guitar is playing in, in that piece? You know, I can only say I think so. I kind of just <laughs> do what Victor tells me to do in, in, in that song, and then shape a few, you know, like the, the bit in the middle where I'm playing um, a fast tremolo. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of guitarize a lot of things. Uh, but, but really, both of the colos that we've played are Victor's compositions, and I, you know, uh, make them fit better onto onto guitar. So, um, uh, I I really learn a lot from Victor about when we're putting those together about how it should all sound. So, so the acoustic guitar and the cello, they do fit really well together. But do you ever, because you're playing an acoustic guitar with gut strings instead of steel? Do you ever have to worry about balance? We do, and normally we play. The, we have a, a little amplifier that we use for the guitar that hides under my chair, and it just pushes the guitar volume up enough that we're balanced live. Mm. And we try to create the impression that it's not really amplified, that everything is happening acoustically, because the guitar is quite a bit quieter. And you can probably hear and hear because we, you know, the listeners at home have the advantage of of uh, uh, having everything already controlled through microphones, so the balance is fixed, but uh, it, you know, the balance isn't quite what it normally is even when we're playing in the studio. So next we're going to hear a piece called Facing East. Uh, I saw just a little, a little bit of this on YouTube, and I thought, no, I want to hear it live the first time. I heard the beginning, and I thought, no, YouTube, the sound, well, it's not as good as Highway 89. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's nowhere so, close. Introduce us to this piece that we're going to hear. Well, there was a, a a book by an author named Stephen Gold. Um, I, I've forgotten the title, so I think it's the uh, Ancient Tibetan and Navajo Wisdom Circle of the Spirit. That is the title, um, and it was about all of these stunning similarities between Navajo and Tibetan culture, um, spiritual mm. practice, and 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 language. There are a lot of cognates between the two languages. Like greeting the morning sun. It sounds like from. That's exactly right, and and um, as it turns out, uh, the genetic uh, makeup of the two cultures is almost identical, and there's a lot of evidence that uh, they're very closely re related and just traveled across the Bering Strait with that culture almost intact. So uh, the piece was inspired by that book, and there are three movements, and they play with Tibetan and Navajo themes. This one is entirely Navajo, and it's based on a, a, a song by Navajo singer Ed Lee Nate. Um, his song is called Zuni Sunrise. You'll hear, uh, really, the only time the melody is expressed as he wrote it is in the very first few seconds that you hear Victor play, and then it goes quite far afield after that. Which movement is this of the three? This is the middle movement, the slower of the, the three. We'll hear the Richter Uzo duo. Uzo duo. I'm going to get a run at that again. We'll hear the Richter Uzo duo performing Facing East. And we'll hear this middle movement of the three from this piece. Interesting cultural connotations and interesting how an instrument as classically uh, defined, we think, as the cello can serve so many different purposes and tying in with different cultures. I love hearing the, the guitar and the cello mixed, partly because of that, just what they each bring that they don't have alone. So I think the tuning is, I'm getting nods here, we're ready to go. Facing East.
That's Facing East, the middle of three movements in that work. We've just heard written and performed by our guests, Brad Richter and Victor Uzer. Sadly, that ends this installment of Highway 89, but now I find out where I can get a CD and put it on endless repeat. The Richter Uzer duo is uh, Victor Uzer, who is a cellist and professor of cello at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. He's also the founder and director of the Bonneville Chamber Music Festival. Brad Richter is a guitar player, composer, and founder of Lead Guitar, a not-for-profit that establishes guitar programs in public schools. Together, they've recorded String Theory, an album showcasing their fondness for musical mashups of classical, European folk, and rock music. They've taken that music on the road, North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, and their music is also regularly heard on programs such as NPR's Classical Guitar Alive, Performance Today with Fred Child, and PBS's Wood Songs. Thank you to both of them for a great program. We love to hear from you, our listeners. Please send your comments, your questions by email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our producer, Jackie Tateishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening.